Welcome everyone to week nine of season five of Be Formed. This week we're gonna be looking at the anointing of the sick and the catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, speaking to us this week will be Father James Garascio. He's the parochial vicar. Uh, people have asked, what does that mean? Vicar means to stand in the place of parochial of, of, the, of the pastor in the parish when he's not around. So he's kind of second in command in the parish. I met uh, James when he was a senior in high school, walked all the way through uh, four years of college seminary and Mundelein Seminary and his ordination. So I'm very proud of the uh, young man and the priest that he is. So let's listen to Father James as he speaks about the anointing of the sick. Hey, Father James here again from Our Lady of Mercy Catholic Church, and let's talk about anointing the sick in the catechism. So anointing the sick is in paragraphs 1499 to 1532 in the catechism, and it's important that we begin just as the way that uh, the anointing of the sick usually begins, namely as where it's mentioned in Scripture. We read in James chapter 5, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now this kind of includes, uh, basically within the text itself, the majority of what the sacrament is. You'll notice that it talks about oil, talks about the person being raised up, talks about their faith, talks about forgiveness of sins, talks about calling for a priest when they are sick. And so it's a beautiful sign of that the Catholic Church and her sacraments truly is just what Jesus intended for his church. As paragraph 1512 points out, the anointing with oil by priests and or by bishops has continued throughout the East and the West since the very beginning of Christianity. Uh, we can beg for healing, but always remembering that the Lord heals only if it is conducive to our salvation, knowing that at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we get into heaven. And so there are reasons why the Lord would desire to heal us or, and sometimes not to heal us physically. But regardless, as the catechism shows us, the anointing of the sick always he heals us spiritually. A good example of this would be one of my favorite saints, uh, St. Therese. There is an icon of her family up there, the Martin family. And St. Therese herself, uh, though she was a great uh, innocent young nun living in Carmel, she ended up getting tuberculosis and dying at the age of 24. And she died a very painful death with tuberculosis, uh, which is not, <laughs> not very pleasant. But as she constantly writes about how the Lord loved her so much, and yet here she is, um, this young woman uh, who has dedicated her life to God, and yet she undergoes this great suffering and dies young, and the Lord does not heal her physically. And on the other hand, I think of uh, my actually first anointing that I ever did as a priest. It was here at Our Lady of Mercy. I got called to the hospital uh, just down the road at Rush Copley like normal. And when I walked into the hospital room, uh, the man that was lying there in bed did not look good. He looked very sick. And the nurses and the doctors assured me, as well as his wife, uh, that he wouldn't make it more than a couple weeks. Well, lo and behold, uh, a solid year and a half later, uh, there I am in the back of church, and there's a man. And I'm like, hey, I think I recognize you. And he's like, Father, you remember me? You anointed me when I was in the hospital on my deathbed. I'm like, no way. And he is still uh, alive and here with us today, uh, worshiping. And I see him at every Sunday Mass, and it's a great joy 
that the Lord decided to heal him physically through the anointing of the sick. So why would the Lord choose to heal some and not everyone? As we read in 1500 to 1501, illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. On the other hand, it can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. Once again, the Catechism shines through in its beautiful wisdom in showing us that while suffering is indeed a great mystery and one of the many mysteries of life that Jesus himself answers with the cross, with his own suffering, it shows us that uh, at the end of the day, when we encounter suffering, uh, we have the option of what we do with it, whether we turn towards God in the midst of our suffering or away from God. And the Lord's response of healing, physically or not, can be part of that mystery. So what typically happens in the anointing of the sick? Well, uh, usually what happens is somebody will call the emergency line at the parish, which will just ring my cell phone. And I have it set up on my cell phone such that even if I have do not disturb on, it'll still ring very obnoxiously, such that it'll wake me up even if I'm sleeping uh, nice and soundly. So I'll receive the call and I'll get the message. I usually call the person back and I'll ask a few questions of if the person is awake, if they're coherent, if they can receive food such that they can receive the Eucharist, and how urgent the anointing is. Because sometimes I have things on my calendar and I have to wonder, okay, um, can I put this off for an hour until after this meeting or after I say Mass? Or do I need to try to find another priest who can go right now and immediately? Of course, these calls come at all times of the day, and people are frequently astonished that I show up, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes after they call. Um, but again, guys, that's why holy orders exist. So please don't hesitate to call. Of course, because that's how this works, uh, I usually have no idea what I'm walking into. Usually it's uh, just an older person or an elderly person. But sometimes I've walked in on uh, a month ago or so, a 29-year-old who is dying of cancer. That is a very shocking and, and difficult reality. Um, but again, that's what we're here for. Some people might think that uh, this is a very difficult thing, uh, and it is at times, but really the family and the, the person who is sick is almost always really happy to see me or happy to see the priest uh, because it is the presence of Jesus in the sacrament of holy orders who is being invited into that difficult moment. And so in a time uh, where the doctors can't do anything else or where there seems to be no more hope and nothing but suffering, the priest, I, get to bring in hope. So I'll show up, I'll greet the family, I will then invite them to pray with me uh, after maybe getting to know them briefly. And uh, we typically begin by reading the passage from James that we began with and say a couple prayers. I will lay my hand on their head, so the laying on of hands, and then I will anoint their forehead with oil, holy oil, the oil of the sick, which is consecrated at the chrism mass once a year by the bishop. And a very cool thing is that if it's a priest, because our hands have already been consecrated with chrism, when you anoint a priest, you actually anoint the backs of their hands. And it's just kind of a little 
nod to the fact that their hands have already been anointed with chrism. But nevertheless, the words of the anointing are, Through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. So you can see right there in the words of the sacrament itself, it points to what the catechism also teaches to us, namely that in the Lord's love and mercy, that he might help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. That oil always points to the anointing or the blessing, the healing presence of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, our advocate, even and especially at our time of death. And may the Lord who frees us from sin save us and raise us up, that he might, through the sacrament, because it forgives sins, and that it might save us and raise us up, whether physically, just as Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and literally raised her up, or how Jesus healed Jairus's daughter and raised her up. But this raising up is also literally the same word that the gospel authors use to describe Jesus raising from the dead. And so it speaks not only to this physical raising up, but just as these healings that Jesus did in his ministry point to the spiritual raising up, the resurrection that Jesus offers to us upon death, that we might be raised up with him into eternal life. And so you can see the spiritual and the physical mingled and uh, pointed to in the sacrament itself. So after that, uh, then there's a couple other prayers, and then I give the, uh, if the person is on their deathbed, the apostolic pardon, as it's called, uh, which if you've heard of a plenary indulgence, uh, that's what it is, which the church affords actually to everybody at the moment of their death. Ideally, what you would do is you would be able to give all of the last rites uh, to the person, which would include confession, because it's uh, because anointing forgives sins, it's ideal that you confess your sins first, then anointing, and then viaticum, which is bread for the journey, food for the journey, our last Eucharist, uh, to help bring us to eternal life as Jesus promised us. Now, as the Catechism points out, there are five principal effects to the anointing the sick, depending on how you delineate them. Uh, but in 1520, it kind of speaks to most of them. And so the first one is the uniting of the sick person to the passion of Christ for his own good and that of the whole church. And so it shows us again that Jesus suffered with us, he suffered for us, and sickness and suffering does not need to be meaningless. Jesus brings meaning into suffering as we see in his cross. And so the anointing of the sick helps to make that clear. Jesus wants to be with us and in us when we are suffering so that we can unite them to his cross and that they can help both for us and, as it says, for the good of the whole church. And furthermore, it unites us to Jesus in general. As we read in 1505, suffering can configure us to Jesus. We can say yes or rebel regardless of our circumstances, but our yes to the crosses we're given can have great merit to, quote, complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, End quote. which is St. Paul saying that Jesus doesn't just want to save us without us, he wants us to participate in that salvation. And what a great gift it is to be able to help our brothers and sisters. Jesus shows us the fullness of love on the cross, and he wants us to share 
in that love. The second effect is the strengthening, the peace, and the courage that is given through the grace and gift of the Holy Spirit to endure in a Christian manner the sufferings of illness or old age. So it gives us the strength to, you know, all that that I just said can sound kind of, you know, nice, um, but it's really hard to do when you're suffering in a serious way. And so anointing gives us the strength to suffer well. As St. Paul tells us, we Christians mourn in a different way than the pagans do, because we always have hope. We have hope that there is something beyond death, and we have hope that suffering is not just meaninglessness, but that Jesus can bring about meaning through suffering. And so in place of anguish and discouragement and despair, Jesus allows us in the anointing of the sick to be filled with faith, hope, and charity. Trust in our Lord and in our loving God who did come to save us and who promised us eternal life. That death need not be the end. The third effect is the forgiveness of sins. And so this is why the priest will actually wear purple, uh, purple stole, when he is giving the anointing of the sick because it forgives sins just like he wears a purple stole in confession. So ideally, we would confess all of our sins, especially our mortal sins before this point. But even if not, Jesus still in his great mercy, his divine mercy, desires to forgive us. And so if the person, though they're unconscious, um, would have repented and would have confessed these sins, given the opportunity, then the church teaches that, yes, these things, even mortal sins, can be forgiven. The fourth effect of the anointing of the sick is the restoration of health if it is conducive to the salvation of the person's soul. And we already talked about that. The fifth effect is the preparation for passing over to eternal life. Jesus desires to be with us, to prepare us, that just as he made death not just the end, but indeed a doorway into something greater, so too he, through the sacrament, can prepare us to do so. Now, there's an important question of when should we ask to receive the anointing of the sick. And 1528 points out that the proper time for receiving this holy anointing has certainly arrived when the believer begins to be in danger of death because of illness or old age. Now, what this means is that it can also be the case that um, before a major surgery, because in a major surgery, um, you're actually in danger of death. People can die from uh, not the right dose of anesthesia and whatnot. So we can receive the anointing of the sick, a, a preparation for death, a forgiveness of sins, make a good confession um, before uh, going into a major surgery. Or at the onset of a terminal illness, if you're diagnosed with stage four cancer or something like that, God forbid, um, but that is danger of death. And so you can receive anointing the sick even at the onset of a serious illness. But if that's not clear enough, the Code of Canon Law has very good descriptions about when the anointing of the sick should be administered. So in Canon 1004, it says, The anointing of the sick can be administered to a member of the faithful who, having reached the use of reason, begins to be in danger due to sickness or old age. So even old age, remember, can be part of you can get anointed. But notice that it said, having reached the use of reason, which sounds kind of weird, but that's because the church has stated that children below the age of reason, which is about like seven, eight, six, something like that, that they should not receive anointing of the sick. And you're like, what? Why would they not? Well, that's because um, it involves the forgiveness of sins. And if you're below the age of reason, then you can't actually 
commit sin. That's why first confession doesn't happen until about second grade for kids. But what you would do if there was a child who was sick and in perhaps danger of death below the age of reason is you would actually give them the sacrament of confirmation because that too is an anointing of the Holy Spirit giving them strength and it fully initiates them into Christ's body. So it's such that they're prepared for, please not, that they pass away. And in paragraph two of that same canon, it also says that the sacrament can be repeated if the sick person having recovered again becomes gravely ill, or if the condition becomes more grave during the same illness. So this is important to note if there's a significant drop in, um, in the person's health, uh, regardless, if they've already been anointed, they can be anointed again. Now, it would be an abuse of the sacrament to anoint them like every day or something like that. There would have to be a, a significant, significant decline in health. But regardless, if there's a new stage, they can also receive anointing another time. Furthermore, an interesting point to make in Canon 1005, where it says, this sacrament of anointing is to be administered in a case of doubt whether the sick person has attained the use of reason. So like if you're like, well, the kid's seven, maybe I could give him anointing too, as well as confirmation. Uh, or if there is a doubt, if they're dangerously ill, you know, err on the side of being generous with the sacraments, or if the person is dead. Um, there have been cases where a priest will show up and the person died like two minutes ago and they came as fast as they could. Well, to be honest, we're not exactly sure when full death takes place or when the soul separates from the body. And so although their brain activity might have stopped, just in case we might anoint the person anyways. Now, if the person has been dead for over 30 minutes or an hour or two hours or something like that, um, then the time has already passed and we would uh, pray with them because the sacraments are for the living and not for the dead. And so that being the case, uh, we can still pray for them, um, but all the more reason to make sure that you don't wait until the last minute because uh, the priest might be busy and it might not be easy for him to get there. Furthermore, in Canon 1006, it says that the sacrament is to be confirmed on the sick who at least implicitly requested it when they were in control of their faculties. So if they're unconscious and their loved one requests it on their behalf, if the person who is sick is baptized, we just pretty much assume that like, yeah, they would want to receive the healing and the graces that comes with the sacrament, unless they explicitly said, do not anoint me when I'm sick. Of course, as Catechism 1530 points out, only priests or bishops can give the sacrament of the anointing of the sick uh, using the oil blessed by the bishop, or if necessary, in an emergency, um, the priest can actually bless any uh, olive oil or vegetable oil himself to be used for the sacrament. And because it involves the forgiveness of sins, as we said, uh, this is the reason why a deacon or a lay person cannot give the anointing of the sick. But as we know, and as the Catechism points out, oil is a sign of healing uh, and soothing of wounds you would pour, as we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He poured wine and oil on the wounds of the man who is left on the side of the road. And so the anointing with oil is a important part of the sacrament. Just as bread and wine is necessary to have the Eucharist, so to oil is necessary for the anointing of the sick. 
And so that's why during COVID, uh, we priests actually had to fight in order to get into the hospitals, into the hospital rooms, because although other Christian denominations, you know, say prayers over the phone, as we all can do, if we want the anointing of the sick, we have to be there. Even if I anoint the person using an instrument like a Q-tip, uh, which has touched oil, and then I anoint, so you can use an instrument to anoint, but regardless, it requires the oil actually touching the person, and that the priest, not like a nurse or something, be the one who is administering. So my final point uh, for the Catechism on the Anointing of the Sick is very simply, Jesus wants to be with us, to strengthen us all the way until the very last moments of our life, and that's why he gives us the beautiful sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Thank you, Father James, for that great explanation of the anointing of the sick and some personal examples. Uh, hopefully it's given everyone uh, some good insights on this beautiful sacrament that the church offers. Our Lexio Divina uh, that we want to encourage you to pray with this week, Father James referred to in the video, is James chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. It speaks directly about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Also an encouragement uh, to review your commitment cards this week. We're approaching the two-thirds mark of the season. And uh, just want to encourage you as you move along to uh, stay faithful to that and check in with your prayer partners. And then the last thing is I encourage you to take your workbooks with you to Mass. The reason is, just like we do Lectio Divina, we're paying attention to what strikes our hearts in the scripture. And if we bring this to Mass, pay attention to, it might be a prayer, it might be a reading, it might be something from the Eucharistic prayer, something from the homily that strikes you, and to write it down. The more we pay attention to what the Lord is speaking to our hearts, the more we, we are aware of God's presence in our lives. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your son Jesus and for these beautiful sacraments, especially the anointing of the sick, the ways that you heal us and make us whole and prepare us uh, to meet you uh, face to face one day. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all.